0: Chapter 8 of Books Fatal to Their Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Books Fatal to Their Authors by Peter H. Ditchfield. Chapter 8 Poetry. Adrian Beverland, Theso Dascoli, George Buchanan, Nicodemus Frischlin, Clement Marrow, Caspar Weiser, John Williams, Desforges, Theophile, Hélo, Matteo Palmieri, Lagrange, Pierre Petit, Voltaire, Montgomery, Keats, Joseph Ritson. The haunters of Parnassus and the wearers of the laurel crown have usually been loved by their fellows save only when satire has mingled with their song and filled their victims minds with thoughts of vengeance in the last chapter we have noticed some examples of satirical writers who have clothed their libelous thoughts in verse and suffered in consequence but the woes of poets caused by those who listened to their song have not been numerous shakespeare classes together the lunatic the lover and the poet as being of imagination all compact and perchance the poet has shared with the madman the reverence which in some countries is bestowed on the latter however all have not so escaped the destinies of fate some think that ovid incurred the wrath of augustus caesar through his verses on the art of loving and was on that account driven into exile which he mourned so melodiously and complained of so querulously in a period less remote we find adrian beverland wandering away from the true realm of poetry and taking up his abode in the pest house of immorality he was born in Middelburg, in sixteen fifty three and studied letters at the university of Leiden. he began his career by publishing indecent poems he wrote a very iniquitous book de peccato originali in which he gave a very base explanation of the sin of our first parents and although considerable license was allowed to authors in the netherlands at that time nevertheless the magistrates and professors of leyden condemned the book to be burned and its author to banishment the full title of the work is hadriani bevelandi peccatum originali philogise Elucuvratum a Alumno eleutheropoli in Horto Hesperidum typis adami evae terrae filii, he seems to have followed Henry Cornelius Agrippa in his idea that the sin of our first parents arose from sexual desire. Leonard Ricinius refuted the work in his Justa de testatio libelli sceleratissimi Hadriani Bevelandi de peccato originale, sixteen eighty he would doubtless have incurred a harder fate on account of another immoral work entitled de prostibules versterum if one of his relations had not charitably committed it to the flames before the sentence of banishment had been pronounced he wrote an apology professed penitence and was allowed to remain at Utrecht, where he composed several pamphlets being exiled on account of the indecency of his writings he came to england where he affected decorum and his friend and countryman isaac Vossius, who enjoyed the patronage of charles the second and was canon of windsor obtained for him a pension charged upon some ecclesiastical fund never were ecclesiastical funds applied to a baser use for although beverland wrote another book with the apparent intention of warning against vice the argument seemed to inculcate the lusts which he condemned having become insane he died in extreme poverty in seventeen twelve he imagined that he was pursued by a hundred men who had sworn to kill him an early poet who suffered death on account of his writings was Seto d'ascoli professor of astrology at the famous university of Bologna in thirteen twenty two his poems have been collected and published under the title Poetiche dell'illustro poeta chezzeso d'ascoli si la serba in venicia per filippum petri et socios anno fourteen seventy eight in four the printer of this work Philippus Condem petri filippo de piero venito is one of the earliest and most famous of venetian printers and produced several of the incunabula which we now prize so highly the absurdities of setio contained in his poems merited for their author a place in a lunatic asylum rather than on a funeral pile he was however burnt alive at bologna in thirteen twenty-seven. he believed in the influence of evil spirits who under certain constellations had power over the affairs of men that our saviour jesus christ was born under a certain constellation which obliged him to poverty whereas antichrist would come into the world under a certain planet which would make him enormously wealthy he continued to proclaim these amazing delusions at bologna and was condemned by the inquisition the poet escaped punishment by submission and repentance but two years later he announced to the duke of calabria who asked him to cast the horoscope of his wife and daughter that they would betake themselves to an infamous course of life this prophecy was too much for the duke. Settio was again summoned to appear before the inquisitors, who condemned him to the stake. At his execution, a large crowd assembled to see whether his familiar genii would arrest the progress of the flames. The poet's real name was Francois de Stabili, Setto being a diminutive form of Francesco. There are many editions of his work. The lunatic and the poet were certainly in his case not far removed a very different man was the illustrious author and historian of scotland george buchanan who was born in fifteen O six. after studying in paris he returned to scotland and became tutor of the earl of murray the natural son of james v the franciscan monks were not very popular at this period and at the suggestion of the king Buchanan wrote a satirical poem entitled *Silver Franciscanorum, in which he censured the degenerate followers of St. Francis, and harassed them in many ways. This poem so enraged the monks, that they seized him and imprisoned him in one of their monasteries. One night, while his guards slept, he contrived to escape by a window, and underwent great perils. He published two other severe satirical poems on the Franciscans, entitled fratres Fraterimi and franciscaranus it is scarcely necessary to follow his fortunes further as buchanan's history is well known after teaching at paris bordeaux and at Coimbra in portugal he returned to scotland and was entrusted to mary queen of scots with the education of her son buchanan then embraced protestantism opposed the queen in the troubles which followed and received from parliament the charge of the future solomon of the north james the sixth of scotland and first of england he devoted his later life to historical studies and produced his famous history of scotland in twelve books de maria regina Edusque conspirationi in which he attacked the reputation of the queen and de jure regni Scotos a book remarkable for the liberalism of the ideas which were therein expressed his royal pupil did not treat buchanan's history with due respect he caused it to be proclaimed at the mercat cross and ordered every one to bring his copy to be perused and purged of the offensive and extraordinary matters in the reign of charles the second the university of oxford ordered buchanan's de jure regni together with certain other works to be publicly burnt on account of certain obnoxious propositions deducible from them, such as wicked kings and tyrants ought to be put to death. He published a paraphrase of the Psalms of David in verse, which has been much praised. The Jesuits were not very friendly critics of our author, for they asserted that Buchanan showed in his life little of the piety of David, and stated that during thirty years he did not deliver a single sermon, even on Sundays but who is ignorant observes m klutz of the lust of these men for calumny another poet had occasion to adopt the same mode of escape which buchanan successfully accomplished but with less happy results this was nicodemus frischlin a german poet and philosopher born in the duchy of wurtemberg in fifteen forty seven at an early age he showed great talents honors clustered thickly on his brow at the age of twenty years he was made professor of belles-lettres at tubingen he received from the emperor rudolph the poetic crown with the title of chevalier and was made count palatin as a reward for his three panegyrics composed in honour of the emperors of the house of austria certainly fortune smiled upon her favourite but envy raised up many enemies who were eager to find occasion against the successful poet He afforded them a pretext in his work de laudibus vitae rusticae, which, in spite of its innocent title, grievously offended the nobles, who were already embittered against him on account of his arrogance and turbulence, and his keen and unsparing satire. So bitter was their hostility that the poet was compelled to leave Tübingen, and became a wandering philosopher, sometimes teaching in schools always pouring forth poems, elegies, satires, tragedies, comedies, and epics. Being eager to publish some of his works, and not having sufficient means, he applied to the Duke of Württemberg for a subsidy, at the same time furiously attacking his old opponents. This so exasperated the chief men of the court that they persuaded the Duke to recall Frischlin. But instead of finding a welcome from his old patron, He was cast into prison in order that he might unlearn his presumption and acquire the useful knowledge that modesty is the chief ornament of a learned man. But Frischlin did not agree with another poet's assertion. Stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. Having raged and stormed, and tried in vain to obtain release, he resolved to escape. From his prison window he let himself down by a rope made out of his bedclothes but unfortunately the rope broke and the poor poet fell upon the hard rocks beneath his chamber window and was injured fatally frischlin was considered one of the best latin poets of post classical times but his genius was marred by his immoderate and bitter temper which caused him to imagine that the gentle banter and jocular remarks of his acquaintances were insults to be repaid by angry invective and bitter sarcasm with which his writings abound Clément Marot was one of the most famous of early french poets and the creator of the school of naive poetry in which La Fontaine afterwards so remarkably excelled his poetical version of the Psalms was read and sung in many lands and in spite of prohibition copies could not be printed so fast as they were eagerly bought they were at one time as popular in the court of henry the second of france as they were amongst the calvinists of geneva and holland in fifteen twenty one we find him fighting in the duke of alencon's army when he was wounded at the battle of pavia then his verses caused their author suffering and he was imprisoned on the charge of holding heretical opinions His epistles in poetry written to the king contain a record of his life his fear of imprisonment his flight his arrest by his enemies of the sorbonne his release by order of the king and his protestations of orthodoxy but he seems to have adopted the principles of the reformation and France was no safe place for him in Geneva and Piemont he found resting places and died in 1544 his translation of the psalms into harmonious voice which was sung both by the peasants and the learned was the cause of his persecution by the doctors of the sorbonne he complains bitterly to the lyon printer dole that many obscene and unworthy poems were ascribed to him and printed amongst his works of which he was not the author as an example of his verse i quote the beginning of psalm a hundred and forty one Vers des désespéré le père, je mon irai lui montrant l'impropre. Qu'on me fait lui ferai ma prière à haute voix qu'il ne jette en arrière. Mais peter cri, car en lui seul so j'espère. It is not often that a poet loses his head for a single couplet, but this seems to have been the fate of Caspar Weiser, professor of Lund in Sweden at first he showed great loyalty to his country and wrote a panegyric on the coronation of on charles the eleventh king of sweden but a short time afterwards he appears to have changed his political opinions for when the city was captured by the danes in sixteen seventy six We met the conqueror and greeted him with the words perge triumphata reliquas submitere terras secretit ad dominum." Quod fuit ante suum. This verse was fatal to him. The Swedish monarch recovered his lost territory. The Danes were expelled, and the poor poet was accused of treason and beheaded. The same hard fate befell John Williams in sixteen nineteen, who was hanged, drawn, and quartered on account of two poems, "Balams Ass" and "Speculum Regis," the manuscripts of which he foolishly sent secretly in a box to King James. The monarch was always fearful of assassination, and as one of the poems foretold his speedy decease, the prophet incurred the king's wrath and suffered death for his pains. A single poem was fatal to Desforges, entitled Vers sur l'arrestation du du prétendant d'Angleterre. It commences with the following lines. Peuple jadis si aujourd'hui si servile, des princes tu ne plus le He happened to be present at the opera house in Paris when the young pretender was arrested, and being indignant at this breach of hospitality, and believing that the honor of the nation had been compromised, he wrote these bitter verses. He was arrested and conducted to the gloomy fortress of Mont Saint Michel where he remained for three long years shut up in the cage the floor of this terrible prison which was enveloped in perpetual darkness was only eight feet square the poor poet bore his sufferings patiently and was befriended by monsieur de broglie Abbe of saint-michel who obtained permission for him to leave his cage and be imprisoned in the abbey nor did he fail to take precautions lest the poor poet should lose his eyesight on passing from the darkness of the dungeon to the light of day. The good abbé finally procured liberty for his captive, who became secretary to M. de Broglie's brother, and subsequently on the death of Madame de Pompadour, commissioner of war. Terrible were the sufferings which the unhappy Deforge endured on account of his luckless poem. Théophile was condemned to be burned at paris on account of his book le parnasse des poetes satiriques ou recueil des vers vicons et gaillards de notre temps but he contrived to effect his escape he was ultimately captured in picardy and put in a dungeon he was banished from the kingdom by order of the parliament in his old age he found an asylum in the house of the duke of montmorency the poet's real surname was Villon. The following impromptu is attributed to Théophile, who was asked by a foolish person whether all poets were fools. Oui, je l'avoue avec vous que tous les poètes sont fous, mais sachant ce que vous etes, tous les fous ne sont pas poètes. His poems are a mere collection of impieties and obscenities published with the greatest impudence and well deserved their destruction on one occasion he traveled to holland with balzac and used this opportunity for bringing out an infamous charge against him which he had most probably invented his book the cause of all his woes was burnt with the poet's effigy in 1623 many authors have ruined themselves by writing scandalous works offensive to the moral feelings of not very scrupulous ages several chapters might be written on this not very savoury subject we may mention Helot's l'escole des filles par dialogue paris sixteen seventy two. allot was the son of a lieutenant in the king's swiss guard as he succeeded in making his escape from prison he was hung in effigy and his books were burnt chauveau the celebrated engraver who designed a beautiful engraving for Elo not knowing for what purpose it was intended also incurred great risks but fortunately he escaped with no greater penalty than the breaking of the plate on which he had engraved the design the printer suffered with the author some think that ello was burnt at paris with his books the muses have often lured men from other and safer delights and tempted them to wander in dangerous paths matteo palmieri was a celebrated italian historian born at florence in fourteen o five he was a man of much learning endowed with great powers of energy and perseverance he was entrusted with several important embassies and achieved fame as a historian by his vast work chronicon General*, in which he set himself the appalling task of writing the history of the world from the creation to his own time the first part of this work consisting of extracts from the writings of Eusebius and prosper remains unpublished the rest first saw the light in 1475 and Subsequent editions appeared at Venice in 1483 and at Basel in 1529 and 1536 He wrote also four books on the Pisan war Would that he had confined himself to his histories Unfortunately he wrote a poem which was never published entitled *Cita divina representing the soul released from the chains of the body and freed from earthly stain Wandering through various places and at last resting amid the company of the blessed in heaven Our souls are angels who in the revolt of Lucifer were unwilling to attach themselves either to God or to the rebel hosts of heaven so as a punishment God made them dwell Immortal bodies in a state of probation this work was considered tainted with the manichean heresy and was condemned to the flames and some assert that palmieri shared the fate of his book this however is doubtful very fatal to himself were the odes and philippics of monsieur lagrange written in seventeen twenty and published in paris in seventeen ninety five with the title les philippiques Odes par Monsieur de la Grange, chancel, seigneur d'Antonia en Perigord, avec note historique, critique et littéraire. In these poems, he attacked with malignant fury the Duke of Orleans, regent of France, and was obliged to fly for safety to Avignon. There, he was betrayed by a false friend, who persuaded him to walk into French territory, and delivered him into the hands of a band of soldiers prepared for his capture the poet was conducted to the isle of sainte marguerite and confined in a dungeon the governor of the castle was enchanted by his talents and gaiety and gave him great liberty but lagrange's pen was still restless he must needs make a bitter epigram upon his kind benefactor which so aroused the governor's ire that the poet was sent back to his dungeon cell a piteous ode addressed to the regent imploring pardon secured for him a less rigorous confinement he succeeded in effecting his escape then wandered through many lands and at last on the death of the regent in 1723 ventured to return to france where he lived many years and wrote much poetry and several plays dying in 1758 it has never been ascertained what was the cause of his animosity to the regent Certainly, his verses glow with fiery invective and abuse. He speaks of him as a monstre farouche. The following example will perhaps be sufficient to be quoted: Il ouvrit à peine les paupières, tel qu'il se montre aujourd'hui, il and indigné des barrières qu'il vit entre le trône et lui, dans ces détastables idées de l'art des siècles des médias, Fit ses uniques plaisirs il creuse cette voie infernale digne de remplir l'intervalle qui s'opposait à ses désirs voltaire suffered one year's imprisonment in the bastille on account of a satirical poem on louis the fourteenth and in confinement wrote the epic poem la Henriette. Some other storms raised by his work, such as his Lettres Philosophiques and his Epitre à Uranie He weathered by flight or by unscrupulously denying their authorship The rest of his works contained in 70 volumes do not concern our present purpose Our English poet James Montgomery began life as a poor shop boy at an early age He began to write verses and became editor of a sheffield newspaper the troubles of the french revolution then broke out and fired the extreme radical spirit of the poetical editor his writings attracted the attention of the government and he was sent to prison where he wrote several poems ode to the evening star pleasures of imprisonment and verses to a robin redbreast as late as the middle of the seventeenth century a young unfortunate poem in spite of the interest of powerful friends, was hung and burnt at Paris. This was young Pierre Petit, the author of La Vie Celeste, Chansons et Autre Poésies Libre. His productions were certainly infamous and scandalous, but that was no reason why the poet should have been hanged. Moreover, the poems existed only in manuscript. Subsequently, they were published in a Recueil de poesie the manner of the discovery of the poems is curious and serves as a warning to incautious bards leaving his chamber one day he opened the window and unfortunately a strong gust of wind carried several pages of manuscript which were lying on his table into the street a priest who happened to be passing the house examined one or two of the drifting poems and discovering that they were impious denounced Petit to the authorities his rooms furnished a supply of similar work and as we have said the poet paid the penalty for his rashness at the gallows although the methods of later critics are less severe than their inquisitorial predecessors they have not been without their victims and books maltreated by them have sometimes done to death their authors a century ago furious invective was the fashion and the tender mercies of the reviewers were cruel poor keats died of criticism if shelley's story be true of the appearance of endymion the review in blackwood told the young poet to go back to his gallipots and that it was and it was a wiser and better thing to be a starved apothecary than a starved poet such vulgar abuse was certainly not criticism Shelley wrote that the savage criticism on Keats's endymion, which appeared in the quarterly review, produced the most violent effects on his susceptible mind. The agitation thus originated ended in the rupture of a blood-vessel in the lungs. A rapid consumption ensued, and the succeeding acknowledgment from more candid critics of the true greatness of his powers were ineffectual to heal the wound thus wantonly inflicted. It may be well said... That these wretched men know not what they do. They scatter their insults and their slanders without heed as to whether the poisonous shafts light on a heart made callous by many blows or one like Keats's composed of more penetrable stuff. And then addressing the reviewer, he says, Miserable man, you, one of the meanest, have wantonly defaced one of the noblest specimens of the workmanship of God. Nor shall it be your excuse that, murderer as you are you have spoken daggers but use none joseph ritson the antiquary who though not a poet was a great writer on poetry and our early english songs and ballads complained bitterly of the ignorant reviewers and described himself as brought to an end in ill health and low spirits certain to be insulted by a base and prostitute gang of lurking assassins who stabbed in the dark and whose poisoned daggers he had already experienced. Ritson himself was a fairly venomous critic, and the Ritsonian style has become proverbial. Nowadays, authors do not usually die of criticism, not even susceptible poets. Critics can still be severe enough, but they are just and generous, and never descend to that scurrilous personal abuse of authors which inflicted such severe wounds a century ago. And sometimes cause to flow the very heart's blood of their victims. End of Chapter Eight.